Hey Ben, how's it going? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Caught you off guard there, mate. Allow me to adjust my microphone. <laughs> That's not how I usually start things. So I, I really caught you. Um. Yeah. Usually, you, you don't tell me how you start, and you just surprise me with something that I have to think of uh, off the top of my head, which you know that I can't do because I have the memory of a goldfish. Are you not surprised? <laughs> right now. <laughs> I am surprised. Like yeah. <laughs> You did it again, you son of a bitch. Hey, in the uh, the words of old um, Fred Willard, what happened? <laughs> Last week's show, what the fuck went wrong there? Well, I, I look, I, I do, I love it when uh, <laughs> when Drunky Cochran makes a an appearance on the show, <laughs> and when uh, Drunky Cochran edits the show. <laughs> it's good to have. Look, every every uh, every year we have a disaster show, so we've had we've we've had ours early <laughs> this year, and I mean at the end of the day. The most important parts were in the show, uh, i.e., my stuff. <laughs> the irony of it all is that we started by playing the Led Zeppelin backwards, yeah, and that's what jinxed the whole thing, I reckon. Totally. But hey, people got two shows out of it, so come on. Yeah, can't they complain. Thank, they should thank me. Bonus. Tw- like, uh, considering that the was it the, the one show that went out was still like an hour and a half. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it would have come in at two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was, a, that was a pretty grim thing we did last week with Devil Worship, but um, today's not much brighter because we're talking about serial killers. Yeah. Uh, every teen girl's dream. <laughs> so I thought, what's a fun way to come into this? You know, it's pretty dark, so Red Right Hand, why not? You know? What a great song. Yeah, I think... It's a good song. It's I thought that song, I thought Eliza Dane would probably be more appropriate. <laughs> or if it's but, something uh, people would recognise. Although the Scream movies did hijack this completely. Yeah. Every single Scream movie kind of has a different version of it. And there's that great music video they did of the of it using like in the Doctor Seuss style, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> I reckon maybe we should preface this is show called, by is it Eliza Dane? Eliza is Dane the the off the Murder Ballads album. Yeah. Or it's um Wild Rose. Wild Rose. Yeah, yeah but that's the song. Her name was Eliza Dane. Yeah. <laughs> Why they call her that, he does not know. He does not know. Um, yeah, let's preface this by saying that we're not really going to glorify serial killers on this show because that's that's Hollywood's job, let's face it. I was going to say, I, I, I am. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. But we're going to have a bit of fun with the subject all the same. Um, I, yeah, look, I think most people go through a phase in their life where they're fascinated with serial killers, like in their teens. I don't know about you, but I was that guy that was in the school library looking at true crime books. Yeah, no, that wasn't me. No, was it? No, I mean, the closest I got to a true crime book was the titties in National Geographic. <laughs> yeah, they were good books to look through too. Yeah. <laughs> this is <a> weird. <laughs> the wide world of weird tits. But, you know, I, I always, I just relied on other people telling me about, like my sister was into it. Yeah. I just relied on other people telling me about it, like... Oh, what did Ed Gain do? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that being said, I think it's a rite of passage for a lot of teenagers to go through that serial killer phase. Sure, I'm obviously I haven't passed it. <laughs> Still a child in the eyes of many. Well, everybody, that guy over there is Ben Howig. How are you, mate? Good. And I'm Glenn Cochran, and this is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. And you may have noticed I've shaken things up here, Ben. I'm doing things a little bit differently, and uh, you're not quite ready for it, are you? No, I feel like you've introduced the show twice. <laughs> I kind of have. 
You know, well, people might skip through the first part. You never know. Well, I'm actually going to do, I do this what... every five minutes. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I certainly do it to every podcast I listen to. I was like, just get to the guest. You've got that 15 second you know, skipper. Yeah. You know, that's what people do, mate. So, yeah. Beware, I'll do more. <laughs> it's great to have everybody on board. Uh, if you're not one of our rusted on listeners, then you pretty much picked a good episode to start with. Mind you, I would say that on every episode, but today, today is uh, no exception because we have a special guest, Amber Seely, who is the director of a recent Ted Bundy biopic, No Man of God, which stars Elijah Wood and Luke Kirby. And this film is a really interesting take on the whole Ted Bundy story and persona. So I'm looking forward to playing that chat with you. Hang around for it. Plus, lots more other stuff coming up, including segments from all of the Good Movie Monday players, who I will announce as their moments arrive. And uh, welcome to Good Movie Monday. I'm Ben Helwig, and uh, <laughs> sitting across from me is Glenn Cochran. How's it going, Glenn? <laughs> it's good, mate. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> ben and I have recommendations for you, as we do every week. Um, basically, that's the crux of the show, isn't it? It's the recommendation that's, show. You know, that's the first time I've ever done the intro. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll throw it to you next week. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> uh, I'll forget the name of the show. We'll be it'll be Fake Shemp. Welcome to the Fake Shemp podcast. <laughs> well, if you um if you want to backtrack through our recommendations throughout the weeks from previous shows, then check out our Letterboxd account. Thought we'd get that one out of the way there, Ben. Just go to Letterboxd and look for Good Movie Monday. Yes, all the movies we talk about. Well, the main ones. Yeah, we used to do all of them. But that list just became ridiculous. <laughs> and poor Ben got tendonitis in his thumb. Uh, which is much better than where he usually gets tendonitis. <laughs> so now we only do the main films. Uh, speaking of those social media platforms, don't forget Facebook, YouTube and Instagram, where you can get most of our bonus content, which is sort of almost every night. Stack of stuff there. But if you do have a short attention span, then pretty much get onto TikTok because we do short things there. Well, they're just short versions of the long things we do. <laughs> yeah. But, um... They're like ads. Yeah, kind of. That you are. purposely look up. Yeah, it's, it's the content for children. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we would use for ads if we had the money to pay for ads. Yeah. For instance, you've probably already heard one now. Like, yeah. in the last, you know, few minutes, we've probably done we've a TikTok. Done yeah. I'll make sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let us uh, jump straight into some serial killer talk before we go any further. I've already asked if you went through that whole teenage phase. What did you go through a dank phase? You know, I mean, lots of the faces of death kind of stuff, and you know, all of the um, yeah, true crime photos. Not necessarily serial killers, because I mean, I idolise serial killers. I'm not going to lie; like, it was cool to like serial killers when I was a teen. No, like, I watched Deranged. The <laughs> that was about it. One of the uh... scariest moments in cinema history for me is in that movie when he runs out of the house. Oh, no, for me, it's when his mum dies and he refuses to accept it and he keeps feeding her and all the green <laughs> stuff comes yeah. out of it. And I was like, is this a colour correction problem or is this just really gross? It is a gross movie, but do you know the scene I mean when the guy goes out to the truck to get something and he comes running out with a face on? Yeah. Terrifies me every time, even yeah. now. <laughs> but it's 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 the, it's the same thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. really. Yeah. Like when, when Leatherface chases her out at the end, terrifying. Yeah. Totally. It's something about fat people running in a ma or people in a mask running. <laughs> it's the mask. It's for the me. mask, yeah. <laughs> and the darkness, like they're in the, yeah. the well. The Texas is in the middle of the day, but yeah. Yeah, no, but there's that scene when he's chasing her through the scrub, and that's fucking yeah. terrifying too. Particularly when he pops up in fucking out of pitch black. Yeah, it scares the shit out. Actually, of him. I will say major props to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He it's rarely at night. 
Yeah, yeah. Most of his killings are in the middle of the day and you still don't fucking see him coming. Yep. <laughs> like, you know. Yep. Maybe, maybe not so much like in, in part two, like they're they're on that bridge at night, but actually part two, most of it's at night. Yeah. Isn't it? But part one is middle of the day. Yeah, broad because, daylight. because the whole film takes place underground at night and when she comes out, the sun's yeah, rising. The, yeah. You know? Oh, anyway, I guess that's kind of a tenuous connection to today's theme because it's loosely based on a serial killer. Yeah. Well, he's not really a serial killer, well, that's was he? It. Most slashes are serial killer movies, basically. But like everyone you know, ranks Ed Gain as you know, one of the top tier serial killers, but I think he only killed what, one or two people yeah. and it was grave robbing that he was famous for. Yeah. You know? In, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I was going to say, in fairness to Ed. <laughs> <laughs> they were already dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, you know, what's your problem? If he wants to have sex with a corpse... Let him. If was, that's his thing. I was watching a not video. Anyone that's I was still watching alive. a video on YouTube not long ago of a guy that goes to famous crime scenes of history and went like to the dark, Ed Gain house. Dark tourism, kind of like that. He went to the Ed Gain house, which the, the house is demolished, but like he stood there peering in at the angle the famous photos were taken from. It's just eerie to look at, man. Even like a vacant block of land. It's even worse than the next lot of photos where he's jerking off. <laughs> yeah, that's That's right. when it gets really dark. That's only, uh, that's the only, you, you only get that if you subscribe to his OnlyFans. That's right. <laughs> the free content is just him in those, yeah. in those positions. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, I guess when I was like 13 or 14, I was obsessed with those movies, uh, like The Honeymoon Killers and Benny's Video. That was a big one for me. And just yeah, anything dark. Short film about killing, that was another good one. I don't know. Like I'm not as passionate now about that stuff as I was then. I just wonder what it is about the psychology of maybe it's boys that go through it. I don't know. Oh, no, it was, I know. It was definitely girls were yeah. definitely into it. Like my In my sister, at least, there was a definite... It was puppies and dolphins. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> serial killers and... Uh, people with like mental disorders that yeah that who also happen to kill a lot of people yeah 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 I mean yeah. and that's where the whole social commentary of natural born killers comes into it on how people fantasize these yeah maniacs and whatnot but um anyway uh, like I said Hollywood's the ones that glorify this not us they it's certainly just... do and <laughs> love them for it California was another one yeah oh that was a good one it was misspelled I know. spelled it with, I don't understand why they spell it with a K I know. Uh, anyway, should we throw it to Jarrett and then do some more serial killer talk in a minute? Sure. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE class. Now I'm going to start this week's segment with a little news. And that is that Roadshow will be releasing from the Warner catalogue, The Batman. On all the formats come June 1. That's 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. And that date again is June 1. Also from Roadshow, they'll be releasing Ty West's X on Home Entertainment on June 15th. However, I do not have confirmation at this point in time whether it'll be getting a Blu-ray or whether it'll be DVD only. But I do have confirmation, however, that Universal Sony are definitely releasing P.T. Anderson's Licorice Pizza on both Blu-ray and DVD, and the new date is June 15th. Also from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, they'll be releasing two titles from the Paramount Vault for the first time on 4K Ultra HD on June 15th. Those titles being The Untouchables and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Then lastly from Universal Sony, they'll be releasing the Foo Fighters horror movie Studio 666. However, at this stage, it looks like it's only getting a DVD. Rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. Moving on to this week's releases, first up, we've got Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, and pretty much this is the only major release this week, and understandably so, because 
who would go against this title? It's Spider-Man No Way Home. It's getting released on all the formats, 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD. And the 4K has Dolby Vision as well as HDR10 and a Dolby Atmos track. As for the special features, you can find all of these special features on both the 4K and Blu-ray. They include bloopers and gag reel, alternate reality easter eggs, seven behind-the-scenes featurettes. Now, there's two discussion panels, one with the villains of the film and one with the heroes of the film. There's three stories from the Daily Bugle, and finally, two stunt scene pre-visualizations. Then the only other distributor releasing titles on home entertainment this week is Eagle Entertainment, and they've got Project Gemini coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. This is a space set sci-fi, and it's actually from Russia. Can we talk about that? I think we can talk about that. Anyway, they've got two other titles coming out. However, they're only DVDs, and they are Werewolf Castle and UFO Conspiracies, The Hidden Truth. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. I think Jarrett perhaps knows more about movie releases and distributors and labels and all that kind of stuff than anybody I know. He's <laughs> like an encyclopedia of useless label and distributor facts. He certainly is. <laughs> and he comes to us from Monster Pictures, as do you. Uh, so go ahead and find them on social media and see what they're all about. Uh, only two releases really coming out this week, so you know, I guess that makes up for last week where there were like a fucking dozen of them. Yeah. But um, My bank balance says thank you. <laughs> Let's talk serial killers again. So by definition, a serial killer is someone who murders three or more people, apparently. Oh, um, three Is three the number? Well, I think it, it varies depending on what jurisdiction you're in or what part of the world, but I think I would say it has to be three, surely, to be a serial killer. Yeah, it's just a multiple... Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know. Twice just feels like it might be like, you know, just testing the waters. Yeah. Number three, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do it some more. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the term itself, uh, serial killer, didn't come around until the 1960s. Because uh, it it was, actually in the 60s it was called serial murderer. And in the 70s it became serial killer. But before that they didn't really have a name I just, for it. I thought it was just because they always did it at breakfast. Fucking hell. I was waiting for that at some point in the show. You've peaked. <laughs> yeah, peaked early. That's my nickname at school. Yeah, so like they didn't have a term for it. Even back in those days of, you know, Jack the Ripper and all that, there wasn't a term for it. But um, And that was profiled in the, the TV series Mindhunter. Did you watch that? I watched the first episode and then it was like, just got you a know, bit dark you know, for me. The first episode is a really bad one to like actually gauge yeah. it with, with because after that it just becomes a really fascinating yeah. psychological sort of character study. But anyway, that does give you the whole history of how psychological profiling in the FBI came about and how serial killer was termed, you know, coined as a term and all that kind of stuff. I just watched Killing of America. Oh, that's a good one. Like that's the Yeah. That's all I need to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> it really is. Fantastic doco. But then there's the whole concept of serial killers get confused with like spree killers like there mm. apparently is a well there is a difference i'm sure and mass murderers and you know yep soldiers yeah absolutely like yeah soldiers <laughs> yeah it's true they're killing more than three people but jack the ripper would have to be the godfather of serial killers wouldn't he oh maybe attila the hun <laughs> but he was a he was a general wasn't he well sure like, but we're okay. talking we're talking like in crime like, terms as opposed to like right. you know military terms. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I don't I, I don't know enough about history to be able to say yes or no. He's the <laughs> he's a big one. He's the poster boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got away I mean, with it. Still unsolved. That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, 
remember that uh, the, the the TV show with Michael Caine, the Jack the Ripper miniseries. Yeah. Do you remember that got released on the anniversary of or on the date that they were supposed to be revealing who the killer was? Right. And that reveal was just like it might be. It might be. Oh, that's right. No, what's that movie with um, Malcolm McDowell? Isn't it? Isn't it Jack the Ripper just went uh, into the future? That's right. That's how he got. A, that's how he escaped. Oh, what was that called? Was, the time again, or something like that? Yeah. Or as as time goes by, or yeah, something like yeah, that. Or, yeah. I can't remember, but mm. um, <laughs> is it Mary? St- is it Mary Steenburgen in it? Probably. She was in lots of things back then. Well, she was married <laughs> to Malcolm McDowell around then, but it, and um. Who was the killer? Is um, oh, it's not Peter Coyote, but it's someone who looks a lot like Peter Coyote. Who's one of those big, tall one of those, guys? Yeah, don't know. Um, but um, like if 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 you say Jack the Ripper was the voice. if I say Jack the Ripper was the Godfather, but if you go back even further, you got people like Sawney Bean. Have you heard of Sawney Bean? No, he was the influence for Wes Craven for The Hills Have Eyes, and this guy is said to have killed over a thousand people. Jeez, it was David Warner. But yeah. Wow, a thousand people. Yeah, and he was essentially like just one of those. And Wrong Turn is loosely based on him because he was like a hillbilly in Scotland. Do you have hillbillies in Scotland? What do you call a Scottish hillbilly? A whole boy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, he was like a... A highlight? Like, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're not, they're he just... was like a cave-dwelling kind of nomadish kind of character with a family and they just killed whoever sort of happened to stroll in their area. Thousands of people, and that's um that's where Wes Craven got his influence from for Hills Have Eyes. But there right. was a great movie um several years ago called Sawney, which is like a modern retelling, and it's one of the most gruesome fucking horror movies ever. That's one to add for recommendation. Yeah, right. Um, Sawney. But yeah, no. So the seventies and eighties is when the whole pinup boy era of serial killers came around. Your Ted Bundys, your Gacy's, your Dahmers. They're yeah, all based on the real on the real people but mm. then there was also that's also the time of the good ones of, of the like the the created out of nothing ones like Hitcher and yeah, yeah stuff totally. like that I was still on the whole actual serial killers I was talking about like just yeah. going through the era of you know oh, okay, pop fine. culture and serial sure. killers but no no we'll talk about that because all of those killers have had movies not many good ones made from from their stories yeah. like these are some really ah uh, yeah it's, it's hit and miss like any other genre yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the TV movies are often better than the the feature films. It's very funny you say that because I do have a TV movie recommendation coming up. Is it... Uh, <laughs> does it involve someone dressed up as a clown? No. Oh. But uh, that's going to be interesting then. I, I have, no have spoken about that one at large. That's a doozy. You're talking about To Catch a Killer? Yeah. Are you going to be talking about that? No. Oh, good. There's a recommendation for everybody. If you have not seen Brian Dennehy in To Catch a Killer, that is like the prototype for Mindhunter. Like, when I watched that movie after having seen Mindhunter, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, yeah, that's an underrated one. But I reckon Zodiac is the best serial killer movie of them all. Really? Yeah. I think that's David Fincher's best film, and I just, it gets me every time. It's just just, so perfectly constructed. Like, I only watched it, like, a year or so ago, or maybe just before COVID, for the first time. Yeah. And I wasn't really that impressed with it as as a film. Really? Like, yeah, the Jake Gyllenhaal character kind of didn't really do it for me. Sure. Anyway, and his whole obsession, like, I get it. Like, I get his obsession. Yeah. Like, to the detriment of his family and stuff. Yeah. Like, that was it. I was like, well, it's... Well, like, when it, you got your hook stuck in something. <laughs> yeah, but don't you just do it nine to five? Like, you can still be home for fucking dinner. <laughs> like, you know, like, that that part didn't 
didn't I mean I like the the actual the guy and all that sort of stuff, but mm. okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't um Well that's the one I do hold as, you know, like the the penultimate serial killer movie. I think well penultimate means the second best, but okay. Oh the ultimate. Penultimate. Does that mean second best? It's Fucking the second, hell. yeah. Okay, well the second to the last. Now I better or... scramble and think of an ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> well the I reckon the ultimate one is the one that I'm gonna was one of the films I'm gonna talk about. Uh, well, there we go. So yeah. You're, yeah. you're writing the script for me, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. All right, so let's talk about some of our personally selected serial killer films here. We've got two each to recommend on this show. Uh, we'll start with the first one. How about you go first and take us all the way to Guillermo's segment? All right. Well, I have cheated because I'm basically going to talk about two films, but I like to think of them as one long one. Okay. Uh, and that is... And this movie, if, if, if anyone remembers anything that I've ever done in the past, it is... This one time on Facebook where I put up, everyone was doing those, all those lists were going around where people had to talk about the, you know, their 10 favorite films and no one gives a fuck about everyone's, everyone's 10 favorite films are always like the same, out of the same hundred. They only write them for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I decided to do 10 films that I'm embarrassed to admit that I've never seen. And one of the big ones and the, the outrage, the, the anger and hate and outrage that people felt because I hadn't seen these films was alarming. But one of the big ones was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Fucking oath. <laughs> Fucking oath. Never seen it. Yep. I'd heard about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember my boss at the video store telling me, she's like, the, the thing that makes Henry so scary is that it's just someone he sees in the street. <laughs> like, there's no, conne- there's no reason for it. There's no yeah, connection yeah. to him. And that is exactly his strength. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, it just... And it is a fantastic film. So from 1986, Henry Portrait of Steel Killer, directed by John McNaughton, the first film that he ever made, Mm -hmm. starring Michael Rooker, first film he'd been in. Arguably the best thing either of them have made. Wow, yeah, okay. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no lesbian uh, (laughs) slash threesome uh, subplot with Neve Campbell and uh, (laughs) And Denise Richards. Daytona. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't go that far, but it's pretty. It's pretty damn good. I I, I rated over Wild Things. Yeah, like I look, I can. It's just yeah. Well, there, <laughs> I was going to say there's no tits in Henry Portrait of the Seal Killer. <laughs> there is, just not the tits you really want to see, <laughs> or like they are, but not in the situation that you see them in. Mm, that's a it bit is, like it's a bit like the House of Jack built. There's tits yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, on the windscreen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not connected to anything. Uh, so, <laughs> so you're Michael Rooker, Tom Towles. I think Tolls, Towels. I think that's how you say his name. He's great. He's like before I was like watching it going, where do I know this guy from? And I had to look him up on IMDb. And of course it's the, the bully from uh, Fortress. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That was his, yeah. Uh, that was his other big thing, but he is like very kind of, you know, if you needed a bald guy with a kind of handlebar mustache, Tom Towels was the guy you got. He's your go-to. Uh, even though he, he's kind of, he was, had more of a background in improv comedy than drama, <laughs> but uh I always think it works out really well. Hey, so does Michael Keaton. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, and Tr- Tracy Arnold is the is uh, uh, Tom Towers' place. Tom Towers' sister and their kind of housemate. Um, so this film, like I didn't realize it, it was given an an X rating at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but it is one of the main reasons that the NC seventeen rating exists. Excellent. Uh, like because this, along with the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, the um, Pedro Almodovar movie. Um, and this movie, it was finished in 1986, but the producers, like, they were expecting, like, a horror film. Mm-hmm. 
and this was like like a slasher kind of thing. Yep. This was not that. And so they shelved <laughs> it for three years. Yeah, right. And bootleg tapes got out. And that's how Michael Rooker got subsequent work. Um, and basically, it's just about this guy who like, kills people because he enjoys it. It's in black and white, yeah? No. no? It's just very... It's been a long time. It's, it's very... Yeah, it's muted. It's, it's yeah. a muted color palette, and it's set. I think it's in Chicago, mm. and everything is dirty and grimy. And like I, they're in the kind I of. Think it's the post on the DVD. The, the video yeah. art is black and white. It's black and white. Off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty like he's just like this kind of drifter who comes into town. He hooks up with uh, Tom Towers, who was a um a guy that he shared a cell with, mm. uh, and goes to stay with him. At the same time, Tom Towers' niece comes for a visit like she's left her kid behind and her abusive uh husband and kind of escaped to chicago yep uh and they all kind of live together and all the while like uh, michael rooker is killing people just <laughs> randomly people he bumps into in the street or he he goes down to the supermarket and spots some women leaving and follows them home and does the you know kills them like horribly mm-hmm uh, and then he gets Tom Towers into it, and but Tom Towers goes a bit too far and uh, gets a bit too extreme, and Michael Rooker doesn't like that, so he bumps off Tom Towers as well. <laughs> but it's it's like this fantastic kind of super kind of nihilistic, yep, um, you know, serial killer film. I don't. It, it is a horror film, but it's not like a traditional horror. Well, film. he he was sort of um, adopted into the Masters of Horror, you know, fraternity because, because of, of yeah. this film. But it's it's a film, like I said, that kind of plays in line with the Honeymoon Killers, like I said, yeah. where it is very grim and grimy and the tone of the film is just awful. To, you know, yeah, just it's to incredibly yeah. dark and yeah, very, very nihilistic. And then in 1996, they, they had the sequel, Henry II. You know, I know this one. Well, you know, you do love your... Uh... I do love Henry 2. Like, I really do like Henry 2. I think it's like for a sequel to a movie that probably shouldn't have a sequel. I think it captures a certain atmosphere that's not quite as dank as the first one, but I I think it's it's legitimately good. Yeah, like... Did you watch it? I did, yeah. I I watched them both back to back. And I thought the second one... The second one is great, but I... uh, Who was it? Neil uh, Gintoli. Gintoli. He's no Michael Rooker. No, he's not. They he, I think I feel like they hide him because he's kind of a lookalike. Yeah, he yeah. looks similar, but the whole time he looks like he looks like crazy eyes. Yeah, like, he looks like he's insane. <laughs> yeah, whereas Rooker just looks like Rooker. Mm, mm. Um, wasn't the the tag the like the subtitle for this one was Mask of Sanity or something like that? Mask yeah, we, of Insanity. He, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. he's not. Yeah, he's yeah. not wearing the mask. But you know, yeah, I it, it was it was just a bit more and the, the killings is like he's not really. He's not killing like he does in in Henry. Yeah. Like he kind like he shoots like a, a bum and all this kind you know kind of stuff. Like he does. Yeah. He does do stuff, but he's not. He's not as vigilant about it. Although they do the same thing, and they do the same, like at the both start at the start of both films. There's like a, in the original one, there's uh, Michael Michael Rooker going about his day and with flashes mm. of the people he's of like people who have been murdered. Yeah. And you don't. Like it suggests that he's the one who's done it, but you don't see any of the killings. You just see the victims. Yeah. This one does it. It glamorizes it a lot more, and it does it in a montage with he. He's not even part of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like they don't do the flashes. It's very. It's a lot more exploitational. Yeah. I totally. Totally. One. It was. Um. It was directed by Chuck Perello, and he had made the Ed Gain movie in the Light of the Moon. 
Yeah. Or which in Australia was just Ed Gain. Ed Gain. Uh, yeah. And which that I think is probably the best actual Ed Gain movie that's been made. Well, yeah, he's only made serial killer movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, like he, he made that, and then he, Ed Gain. He made Ed Gain, and then the Hillside Strangler. Like, yeah, yeah, and then it. and then he made. Um, I don't know if it was a short film or a feature, but it was a, a comedy with Lynn Shay, uh, all about a, a pot growing doctor. Right. Um, around about that time when it got legalized, and that's when they made this. But he's a protege of McNaughton and Scorsese. He. You know, worked on their productions yeah. for years, and that's sort of how he. Well, he, he runs out. he runs McNaughton's production company. Yeah, and McNaughton signed off on part two in a very big way at the time because he, yeah. he wasn't going to make it unless he got the go ahead. But if you go to fakeshamp.net, there's an interview with Chuck Perello. It's, oh, I love it's it. fascinating. He goes into the whole backstory of making that movie as well as the other ones, and even though it's not a video or audio interview like we do these days, it's a written one, but it's it's fascinating. We should get him back on the show. We should have had him on for this one. Yeah, we should. We just didn't think of it. But what I found so inter- so weird was that it's like Kate Walsh from from uh, like uh, what's that stupid uh, medical TV show that all the ladies love? Oh, Grey's all Anatomy. The, all the mums love. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> she's from that, and the, she had the spin off, and you know, she's like the the wife of the guy that he kind of goes to live with who in his because that's the, he gets he's like I love that he gets these shit kicking jobs mm. but that's the other thing like that all really worked in the first one the fact that he's just he's like does pest control and he uses that to kind of get in places yep. in this one he cleans toilets uh, like portaloos yep. and delivers portaloos and stuff and like even like workmen passing by like screw that's a shit job kind of thing <laughs> yeah. like it's a real but they, it, it's almost like they don't delve into his past at all. Like no. none of the reasons behind why he's in any way fucked up. Even if in the first one they allude to the fact that he's full of shit. Yeah. Like he's just into it. But then they give him this weird thing where he's like, <laughs> oh, why don't we just make you uh, uh, start torching buildings for the insurance money? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I've always watched part two as a standalone. Like I've never really in my mind connected it with part one. Yeah. The way I would with a lot of other sequels. Anyway. I'm glad you brought it up. It's, a, it's an but excuse yeah, to talk I, about a part two that yeah. I think is um, underrated. Look, ordinarily, I would go with something a bit more obscure. Yeah, that's I pretty obscure. I wouldn't talk about that one. Well, part two is, but yeah. part one, like yeah. they, they are the, you know, I think they, you know, they were always the the mark by which all other serial killer sure. films are kind of measured because it's so dark and so nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the fifth time I've used the word nihilistic, but I just can't think of anything. I don't have a thesaurus in front of me, so I can't think of another word that's as uh, as appropriate. Penultimate. Uh, penultimate. <laughs> <laughs> well, Henry II is the penultimate Henry, <laughs> the serial killer movie. Hey, let's... Gonna, it's going to be hilarious if somebody writes in and goes, no, Ben, you you were correct and Ben's an idiot. No, no, no. I, I looked it up. It actually means second last. Second so, last, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, anyway, <laughs> I should know that. I'm the writer. <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of like, you know, holding the benchmark for, you know, serial killers and all that, Gemmo, let's uh, throw to him. He is the editor-in-chief of Screen Realm, the Sydney-based online entertainment magazine. Uh, he brings us up to date with the news every week. And, that's... and if, I was going to say, if you don't like his website, he'll cut you. If you don't read, if you don't read, if you don't read the, to get the website, he'll cut you, cut you in the face. So no one else will want you. What's happening everybody, it's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you just a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with the long, long gestating reboot of The Crow 
finally actually seriously really going ahead. Not only is there a new director at the helm, there's big casting news with word that the lead role has now gone to Bill Skarsgård, known for playing Pennywise in the IT movies and whose credits include Hemlock Grove, Castle Rock and The Devil All The Time. Skarsgård will be playing Eric Draven, a man who along with his fiance is brutally murdered by a gang of criminals. He returns from the dead and with a supernatural crow serving as a guide of sorts proceeds to methodically stalk and hunt down the killers. The film is to be directed by Rupert Sanders making his third feature following Snow White and the Huntsman and 2017's Ghost in the Shell. Behind the script is Zach Balin who was recently nominated for an Academy Award for his King Richard script. All signs point to this actually happening. Pre-production on the new Crow film is reportedly underway. A production start date is being eyed for June and filming is being lined up for Prague and Munich with a budget of around 50 million dollars. Amazon Studios has landed an action-adventure titled Ending Things set to star Anthony Mackie and Priyanka Chopra. Amazon came out on top in a competitive situation, acquiring a spec script written by Kevin Sullivan. The plot will follow a hit woman who wants out of the assassin business. She tells her business partner that she's ending their personal relationship as well, but soon she comes to realize that she doesn't want to end that part of their bond. In order to survive the breakup and their last night together, they must join forces for one last night out. Deadline broke that news. Principal photography has been completed on the follow-up to Netflix's 2020 Chris Hemsworth actioner Extraction. News on the filming rap was shared on social media by Sam Hargrave, the stunt coordinator turned filmmaker who made his directorial debut with the film and continues at the helm for the sequel. What a ride, Hargrave said in a video from the set. Thank you to all the cast and crew, this has been an amazing journey and I'm so excited for you to see the final product. Hemsworth is reprising the role of Black Ops mercenary Tyler Rake. Sure, he was shot in the neck at the end of the last film and was seen falling from a bridge into a river, but franchise potential means one thing. He's okay. Netflix confirmed that in September 21, releasing a video that showed Rake rising from the depths. Extraction 2 is written by returning scribe Joe Russo. No release date as of yet. We also had three reviews go up on Screen Realm, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Our writer Hagen Osborne enjoyed this film, calling it a return to form for the Harry Potter adjacent franchise. Osborne wrote, while pain and loss weigh heavily on The Secrets of Dumbledore, enchantment and adventure make a welcome return to the Fantastic Beasts series. He gave it 4 out of 5 stars. Our writer Adam Fleet reviewed a revenge film called Bull, a brutal film with an excellent performance by Neil Maskell, who you may remember from Kill List, which you should really watch if you have it by the way. In his review, Adam wrote, Bull's perpetually angry outlook means its broad appeal is debatable. Not everyone is going to want to watch 88 minutes of seething irate rage. However, Maskell's performance is electric and seasoned horror fans and revenge movie aficionados will enjoy the crude and effective methods of justice. If you haven't heard of this one, go check out the review and the trailer on screen roll for Bull. And the third review to go up is for Ambulance, Michael Bay's latest blockbuster. I reviewed this film and I really, really enjoyed it. I've been a fan of most Michael Bay films for quite a while now, so I was excited to see this one and I was not disappointed. This is a relentless, bombastic, awesome thrill ride and I absolutely had a great time in the cinema. So I gave this 4 out of 5 stars, you can check out that review as well. And lastly, we have a giveaway up right now. We're giving away tickets to see Nicolas Cage action comedy The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which hits Australian cinemas on the 21st of April. This film's getting absolutely great reviews everywhere, so go to Screen Realm, hit the win page and enter now. Thanks so much for having me, everyone. I'll catch you next week. Thrown like a star, my vast divine open my eyes to 
David Fincher took Donovan's Hurdy Gurdy Man and turned it into a fucking nightmare for me. That's not a fun song anymore. <laughs> it's a cool song though. It's a oh yeah, I think it's a fun song. Like you know, as far yeah, you know, if you want to play it before you go to sleep to have really <laughs> fucked up dreams. That's right. So just like last week, you know, Goodbye Horses from Silence of the Lambs, you know, Hurdy Gurdy Man. It's taking me from like a happy place to a <laughs> completely yeah. fucked up mental place. But um, anyway. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that, everybody. As I said, I, I think Zodiac is uh, David Fincher's best. Um, easily top five of all the serial killer movies for me. What's, um, we've kind of been through that. You reckon that Henry is the number one? I think Henry is the one by which all others are kind mm. of measured by. Okay. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know, like, I mean, like, because it, it all comes down to what your definition of a serial killer movie is. Like, there are, like, all slashes are basically serial killer movies. So, you could say Friday the 13th, Jason's mum is the ultimate serial killer. Yep. Uh, you know, you can, That's like, true. That's true. I mean, there, I don't think it's the most fun. Like, it is an incredibly dark film. Like, it is not, like, Hitcher is enjoyable. Like, the violence is so <laughs> over the top 
it's got a lot of action. It's a lot of it's a fun, yeah, you know, movie. If you like a lot of killing, like there's a lot of gore and stuff. Like this one is, it's it's more brutal and shocking. Yeah, and none of it is played for. There's there's no visceral enjoyment. Yeah. of the killings, it's all too real. It's what nihilistic, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like. I just I don't care, Glenn. So because Zodiac is too obvious, I took that off my list. I was going to do that, but then I thought I was going to do Frozen Ground, but I think I've done that before, and I just couldn't be bothered going through all. I should make a spreadsheet of what I've talked about. I was going to say I went back through the lists. <laughs> yeah. On uh, but Letterboxd, Letterboxd only goes back so far, and I think it was before your time on the show I talked about it. But right. Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage and John Cusack is really, really fucking good. That's one I'd highly recommend you get into if you haven't uh, seen it. What's the other one that's just like that with? Um... Uh, Martin Donovan and is it Robin Williams? Oh, that's the Inso- no Insomnia. No, Insomnia. Yeah, yeah that's the... the Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, yeah, that's Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good too. But Frozen Ground's different. <laughs> Frozen Ground is like based on a true story, very accurately told. Right. Yeah. I just mean that they're both set in cold locations. Oh, they are. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're spot on. <laughs> that was the only. That was it. Was a tenuous link. But I, I haven't seen Frozen Grand. So what I ended up settling on is going to be a surprise because One of the filmmaker. No. <laughs> because of the um, because of the the filmmaker, Badlands, Terrence Malick film. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is another one that I've never seen. Yeah, it's the only Terrence Malick film that I hold in any kind of high regard whatsoever. So, because of the rest, I think it's just all hand job movies. <laughs> it was it was made in nineteen seventy three. Starring a very fresh-faced uh, Martin Sheen, who I think was 33 at the time, but looked sort of closer to 23. And a very young Sissy Spacek, who was in her early 20s, but looked about 15. Mm. So the film feels very inappropriate at the same time, because you just can't believe that these actors are actually adults yeah. doing these things. But um, it's a fictionalised account of the true crimes of Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate, or Fugate, I should say, who were two teenage sort of young lovers who went on a killing spree in the 1950s. And it was it was a big deal at the time. What I love most, I think, about Badlands, though, is the Americana, the, the world that sort of Malick creates. And it's been done countless times since. You know, even David Lynch has sort of dived into that world as well. But I think Malick probably does it the best. And that is what he does well that I really like about his work is he captures... Um, he captures environments really well. I just don't like the stories he tells, I think. Yeah. Or the way he tells the stories. Um, Sheen is like a... I'm trying to think of how the story goes here because I haven't written this down, but he's a no-hoper kind of guy that sort of, you know, hops from town to town, taking up odd jobs here and there. He's, a, he's just a no-hoper. And he meets a young uh, young girl played by Sissy Spacek just sort of hanging out in her front yard with a book doing homework and then sort of befriends her and then kind of coerces her into a relationship and she gets besotted. Yeah. And... And he ends up um, wanting to run away with her and she doesn't know what to do. And the father, who's played by Warren Oates, tries to stop him and warns him to leave and never come back. And so he just kills him. He kills, Martin Sheen kills the father. And Sissy Spacek is so besotted with Martin Sheen that that's okay. We'll run off and live our lives together. And this may all sound familiar to you because, yes, it's been echoed throughout a few famous films over the years. So they take off across the country and they avoid cops along their way and just killing everybody that gets in their way. And the interesting and the chilling thing I think about Martin Sheen's character is the fact that he has no conscience. Like he, when he kills someone, it's because they're in the way. Like the the gun is just an extension of his fist. It doesn't matter who he points to that. If you're in my way, you're gone. And so he's just sort of cold blooded. I mean, 
<laughs> all serial killers are cold blooded. <laughs> you know, but some of them have an MO, and he doesn't have yeah. an MO. He just wants to get from A to B. Um, so yeah, those comparisons I was talking about. Obviously, natural born killers is a massive one. That's practically the same story, yeah. only you know, put into a contemporary setting. But um, Tarantino took cues from that with True Romance as well, because even though they're not spree killers or serial killers, their trajectory and their cross country journey is very similar. Yeah. And the soundtrack to True Romance is basically the same as um as Badlands. As Badlands. Um, completely different composers, but it's the they're taking the exact same cues. And I because I'm watching Badlands, I'd seen it when I was a teenager. This is my first viewing, sort of, you know, as a near middle aged man. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I know true, yeah. ro- <laughs> I know true romance so well. And suddenly, I'm hearing true romance in this film that came, you know, decades before it, and I was like, a little bit disappointed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, hang on, I thought this was that great song from that great music from True Romance, but um, oh, it's such a wonderful film. And um, trying to think what the other movie that had the same oh, Frighteners, the Peter Jackson movie. So the the, the spree killers in that yeah. are based on Dark Weather as well. And Jake Busey in The Frighteners even says, like, we've got one more than Starkweather. Yeah. You know, like, so it's a direct little reference there because Dee Wallace plays the, the young, besotted lover and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I love the film. It's also got a little bit of a Lolita theme going through there as well with Sissy Spacek's character outgrowing him. So she's along right. for the ride, but she matures at a, at a rate that he's not. And she realizes, well, this is not fun anymore and this is serious and the real world is not about this. So she grows tired of him and he doesn't understand why. So he gets, you know, quite angry at her. Yeah. And I like that aspect of it too. But yeah, if you like a good serial killer sort of killing spree movie, check out Badlands. It's highly regarded by most people as one of the greats. I think it's it's in that that American Institute, whatever, that list of great American films. 100 films you must see before you die. One of those type of things that's in there. So it, it also, if you like, I, I've said this three times now, Honeymoon Killers, uh, Swoon, um, there are other movies that were sort of, you know, um, similar in theme and based on other true serial spree killers. Couples. Couples fucking who out. kill. Fucking hell, yeah, because there are a lot of couples that kill, actually, when you think about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's that 110 really... No, actually, no, that's just the guy. <laughs> but that House of Horror is always House of Horror ones. I nearly chose... Hounds I nearly, of Love. I nearly chose um, number 10 Wellington Place for my second feature. Second feature? I didn't, though. Good Movie Monday is made possible with help from Kaiju Beer unashamedly intense Australian craft beer. Right. This is the Homehead Weekly Fun Size. So we get asked all the time, we've talked about this, who's your favorite serial killer, and we don't do this. But this week, we're going to talk about our favorite... Jack the Ripper. Serial killer biopics. He's a huge fan of Jack the Ripper. He's been writing him fan mail to hell for a long time. Which, by the way, in a lot of cases with these these serial killer biopics, and this is one of those things that bothers me to death, is they kind of glorify the serial killer, and then they don't even go into the they don't even get as gruesome as they can about the real truth. But Ted Bundy is a cl- clear example of that. Which is a great bridge for the one I'm going to pick out because mine is Mark Harmon's The Deliberate Stranger. Stranger. There was a mini, well, it, I just I watched it with mom when I was a kid in 86 and that son of a bitch film is stuck in my head i've never went back to revisit but i remember scenes i remember him putting in somebody was asked an obscure question the other day this is no shit at work they said something about what was the color of ted bundy's car or something something i was like yellow yellow how'd you know it was yellow 
I don't. I only saw that movie as a yellow bug. It's still stuck in my stuck in my. Wait, head. summer school's Mark Harmon. Sorry. Yeah, summer school's Mark <laughs> Harmon was the deliberate stranger. And um, was, why did why James didn't bring up the Presidio? He should be ashamed of himself. It, it's directed by a guy a, named Martin J. Joke, Chomsky, and this is only going to be really funny to Chad, uh, or maybe maybe James too. He also gave us the great film Tank. <laughs> Tank. Tank. <laughs> Tank is the Citizen Kane of movies about stealing a tank to save your son. It Name doesn't, me one better one. Yeah. It doesn't insist upon itself. It sure as shit <laughs> does it. I'm sorry. I had to throw out that obscure bit of knowledge. Like that fucker directed Tank. Chad. All right. So I had our time with this one because, again, I it's just I don't like serial killer biopics. I never have. I've had a hard time with them. Um, Most but of them this suck. Most yeah, of them they are do. just god-awful low-budget films. They are. Yeah. Um, now, now what, Chad, when you get caught, who do we want? Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say that while we're recording. Sorry, Chad, go ahead. So I want to talk about one I had fun with. And this is one that actually ended. Uh, uh, it was the last movie of a famous director. I'm talking about John Landis's Burke and Hare. I like talked Burke. about how that was actually a more accurate film, even though it's a comedy. It was one yeah. of the more accurate representations of the story, even though it was a comedy. Yeah. So many people were so wrong about it. Yeah. <laughs> the the I, actual story has been so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, it's about these two grave robbers, these grave robbers who, one of, they, they, and it's the true story of Burke and Hare, not true, but it's, uh, you know, they're real, it's real. Right. Um, they, they resorted to murder to, pro- to provide cadavers for these, uh, doctors because back then it was illegal to experiment on mm-hmm. human human corpses yeah. and they started out with grave robbing and then it escalated which yeah. is that's how we got into bonehead grave yeah. robbing and then escalated james what which is why we have the name bonehead it was gonna be dig em ups <laughs> anyway <laughs> don't spew joe uh anyway dig em up podcast you know, oddly enough, I, I, I'm, I'm returning to to um, developing a trend. So Peter Lawford, no. Uh, um, oh, my God. I want to talk about Monster. I think Monster is yeah. is, is, is an absolutely best. terrifying film. It does star Christina Ricci, so I get to mention that. But uh, it also stars Bruce Dern in this movie. I, I watched it again. It's been a little while back. His character's not in the movie much, but he's one of the most sympathetic characters that just pops up because yeah. he's trying to do some good. He's trying to help. Eileen Wormuth kills people. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's trying to, you know, he she's living in a, uh, he, I guess he runs the storage facility where she rents the storage. It doesn't matter. But Eileen Wormuth was an actual case and uh, was an actual serial killer. Uh, Charlize Theron got all sorts of credit because uh, they made her look much closer to what Eileen Wormos looks like. If you've never seen Monster, it is it is literally a film where you can see everything coming. I mean, there's no surprises, but it is still a bleak serial killer film. Uh, it is probably the best. I agree with you. Not the one I picked, but the best. All right. This is be- I was going to say it's between that and uh, Summer of Sam. Yeah, Summer of Sam, though, isn't to me about this. You know, It's, it's not. Just, it's about, but, yeah. Which is why I didn't bring it up. Now, why has nobody done a movie told uh, the, about the son of Sam Killer from the dog's point of view? This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. We get Beethoven movies. We get five of them or six or however, but we can't get one son of Sam from the dog's point of view. Why am I getting blamed for this noise? Do go and uh, listen to the Bonehead Weekly podcast. I think theirs is a, theirs is a dynamic that takes a little while to 
really tap into. But I think once you do, uh, it's pretty good. I don't know. I listen to their show more than I listen to ours. <laughs> I love what they do. And like, admittedly, when I start, I'm like, oh, I'm not getting their sense of humor and their angle into things. But they won me over pretty quickly. It's good to have them on board anyway. Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and uh, James Thomas. Three Kentucky boys for you. I actually thought for a second there that there was a new member called Lewis that I hadn't met. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, no, you're saying their surnames. Yes. Right. I see what you did there. Clever. Mm. Um, I mentioned earlier, we've been talking about like the rock star-like serial killers, you know, the the Gacy's and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think when it comes to these monsters, there's few that capture the public's attention more than Ted Bundy. It's been countless films and documentaries, particularly the last few years, like Ted actually, Bundy mania. It's been going crazy. I actually thought that was going to be a segue to a segment, and you were going to say like... The one of the greatest serial killers of our age is Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to throw it to, to you, but um, <laughs> by no means am I comparing this person to a serial killer. But yeah, no, there was um, all kinds of Ted Bundy films over the last few years. This is a really interesting one. So the film is called Man of No God. It takes the Ted Bundy character and gets his personality probably right better than any other movie I've seen. Luke Kirby plays Ted Bundy, and the mannerisms are just so uncanny. Uh, Elijah Wood plays Bill Hagmeyer, the FBI agent who got close to uh, Ted Bundy in jail in the prison. And um, some other names in the movie include Robert Patrick and Aleska Palladino. Um, but the uh, the guest of honour is Amber Seeley. Uh, she brings such a unique perspective to Ted Bundy. Um, probably in a she presents him in a way that hasn't been done before. So let's have a listen. She's also a super nice person, and um, yeah, she has a, an interesting uh, approach. It is February thirteenth, nineteen eighty six. This is Agent Bill Hagmeyer. I'm sitting with Theodore. Not Ted. I'm sitting with Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy has 13 hours to live, and he is using those hours to try and buy himself more time. Hi, Amber. Welcome to Good Movie Monday. It is really great to be chatting with you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So on today's show, we're talking all about serial killer biopics, and um, I think there's always been this fascination with serial killers and true crime. Have you been a fan of the genre, for for lack of a better word? Not at all. No. Really? Really? <laughs> Yep, yep. I consider myself an outsider to the genre, which is kind of why I was curious about doing it. I was, you know, when I first got the script, my thought was like, wait, me and a Ted Bundy movie? Like that, that <sighs> seems very odd. And then I read the script and I had a take and I was, I was drawn in and I thought, well, you know what, I'll go and I'll, I'll meet with the producers and I'll give them my take and either, you know, I mean, that's how it is when you're, you're doing what's called pitching on jobs. You, you go and you pitch your take and either it's a match or it's not. And, um, and then it was, and so then, you know, once we started talking about the material and, and what interested me about it, then it, it, you know, it grew and it became interesting, but I always felt myself to be an outsider to the genre. And that's kind of what I liked about the approach for me, you know, I find it boring to do the same thing over and over again. I like to do, you know, explore all sorts of worlds. I mean, that's part of why I think I became a director maybe why other people do it too, is that we like to learn about people other than ourselves, different from our, our own lives. Yeah, right. Well, I think you've probably jumped into it at the right time because like the world is just obsessed with serial killers probably now more than ever before. And maybe the pandemic's got something to do with that, that, you know, people are at home and, you know, they have the time to sort of dive into this really weird and bizarre world of, you know, true crime. So when it comes to serial killers, um, 
<laughs> Ted Bundy <laughs> takes the Ted Bundy takes the cake, and I'm not meaning Bundy to glorify. I'm, I'm not I'm not meaning to glorify him, but I guess there is this fascination and attraction to his infamy because of how charismatic and intelligent he was. Did you feel an obligation not to sensationalize or romanticize him? Well, so first thing I would say is I don't find him that charismatic or intelligent. Actually, I think that's right. part of the mythology around him. I think he was of average intelligence. I mean, maybe slightly above, but I think he was um, he was more deeply insecure, really liked attention. I see him more as kind of like an incel guy, like, you know, we have that term now. I think he just wanted everybody to like him and be fascinated with him and be interested in him. And, and he had a real desperation. I find his looks as well to be really average. I mean, people like, people like that mythologizing, oh, he was a rock star, he was so intelligent, he was so charismatic. But actually, if you do as much research as I did into mm. who he was and look at every photo and every bit of you know video that's out there, he was really needy and, and quite desperate and really deeply insecure. Um, so that's my lens, at least, I, you know, that, and that's the lens that I, I approached the film with. I mean, it's interesting when you talked about people being kind of obsessed with serial killers now. I mean, I, I think, look, there's so many different ways of looking at that. And certainly one can say I'm as guilty as the next because I made a serial killer movie, right? But at the same time, you know, certainly there is, I think, an unhealthy obsession with that kind of thing. And I think there are, you know, certainly audiences and filmmakers who I think maybe do get too obsessed and do start to make a, you know, make these people into rock stars. And, and that I do think gets unhealthy. But then I also think there's another side of being interested in this genre that's really um, comes from a good place of humanity. I think it's, it comes from, you know, not only our own fears of, of dying and being killed and bad things happening to us or our loved ones, right? We all are human. We all know what that feels like. But I also think it's the kind of what we call the rubbernecking when you're driving on the freeway and you see a car accident and you turn to look, you know, I do think there's a very human kind of compassionate part of like, oh God, I hope they're okay. You know, we're, 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 we are genuinely caring about others and we all know fear, right? And I think particularly women know that feeling of walking down a street and hearing footsteps behind you and it's at night and you're scared and, you know, um, and so I think that's something that, um, yeah, that is just kind of universal is, is, is worrying about other people. So I guess I'm like all that to say that I like to think that a lot of the curiosity about these people in this world is more to do with um, caring about others than it is necessarily enjoying, you know, glorifying these awful crimes. I suppose. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And I suppose there's maybe just that also the, the distance of time, like the eighties and sort of the seventies, these kind of killers saturated our media landscape, whereas they don't so much anymore. So maybe we're looking back, you know, with that comfort of, you know, they don't really exist to oh, that the degree anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I think it was, everything was so different then. We didn't have the internet, right? You know, so we, we had to rely on whatever the newspapers and magazines and television, you know, uh, what were yeah. they called? out of the desk, you know, news reporters, they would cut, they, whatever they're putting out is what we got to consume. And it's so different now we're making different choices. So uh, I'm sure there are serial killers that are, are well known today. I don't, again, I'm not a fan of genre. <laughs> yeah. I don't seek them out. I mean, I, I think uh, what it, but we'll also just one more thing. Sorry. I'm like, just keep cutting you off. But, but I also think that with Bundy, it's also kind of a cyclical thing. Like fame begets fame. It's kind of like the Kardashians, you know, they became famous and then everyone was talking about the fact that they were famous and then that, that made them more famous. And, you know, so I think that's sort of the deal with Bundy as well is that because so many people have a take on him, 
and then one everyone has a take and then everyone has to comment on that take and then people have a reaction to that take and and it just kind of becomes a cycle and and i think he's one of those people that has gotten into that fame cycle and it's not necessarily yeah. that he's more interesting or more worthy of examination than than anyone else i guess that was that was the crux of um oliver stone's natural born killers really wasn't it just you know looking at how we glorify them but like let's talk about luke kirby here because he is incredible like i love this guy in general but his take on bundy i found to be just insanely accurate can you talk about his approach to the role or even what kind of direction you gave him to conjure such an uncanny sort of reflection well he's so great isn't he i mean i'd been a fan of his for years before and he just popped into my head you know you start thinking about well god this is such an iconic mm. person who's going to play this and and he just popped into my head and I was like, oh my God, it's gotta be him. And we had so many other wonderful actors interested in the part, but I just was like, no, it has to be Luke. And, and Luke actually turned us down at first. And I was like, no, I gotta hunt him down. So I did, I, I found friends that knew him and, and, and um, forced him to, no, I didn't force him, but you know, we went uh, for a walk together actually in the very early months of the pandemic, an outdoor socially distanced walk, you know, um, and we just hashed it out and we talked and it turns out that a lot of the insecurities that he had about playing Bundy, I had those same things about making a, a quote unquote Bundy film. I mean, we actually like to call this more of a Bill Hagmeyer film than it is a Bundy film. Sure. Um, but Luke was just wonderful. I mean, there's so much about his process that you should ask him that's particular to him, you know, and, and I don't like to really uh pry into that too too much with actors and i think there's some of it's kind of like sacred you know kind of private stuff as well as some of the stuff that i do with my actors right some of that is kind of between us forever in the vault um but he you know all i can say is that he did such thorough research and you know he's just one of those great actors that can mimic the voice and the body and the physicality as well as giving a great performance you know so we did so many I mean, it would take now more longer than we have for me to sort of talk about my process and our process, but Luke's just got the goods, you know, he's got the talent and he, um, I think he did a fantastic, he's definitely the best Bundy. I've been pleased to see so many lists saying he's the best one and ours is the best Bundy film. And I'm like, <laughs> ego is like, yes. <laughs> well, I, think, I, I, think, so many. I think you should take a lot of credit too, because, you know, um, I think your approach to him and his character was really clever and effective because you picked the right camera angles and sort of obstructions to mask whatever sort of Luke Kirby-isms were in there. And I think that was a really, really excellent way to approach it. You know, a lot of directors wouldn't do that. So take that as a compliment for sure. Oh, well, thank you. I don't know if you noticed, but we actually, what I was trying to do was copy a lot of the very, um, you know, the most iconic images that there are of him out there. We kind of recreated a lot of that. One that I really wanted to do that's in the trailer, but didn't end up in the film was the under the table. I don't know if you know that shot of him where it's kind of the camera's like at his feet and it's going up the table and, and he's looking down the lens and we tried to recreate that shot. It ended up that, you know, what the, the space of the room and the shape of our table and the shape of our mm. lens, it didn't look the same. So it didn't quite work. But but that's one thing we tried to do was sort of take these iconic photos of him and, and use, you know, similar angles and lenses. And yeah. Awesome. And Elijah Wood, I can't think of a, an actor with more integrity. Uh, I, like he also produced the film. What's he like to work with as a creative partner behind the camera? So lovely. He's just the sweetest guy. He's so giving and and sweet and easy to work with. And I'm again just so talented. I mean, anything you throw at him, he can do. And he's just he's great. Yeah. I, I mean, we had such a great team. I 
I, I, I like to talk shit about people and sadly I don't have any shit to talk. Can we swear? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, there's, totally. no, there's no shit to talk with this, this crew and cast. They were all really, really wonderful. And I think, you know, it was the first time a lot of us had been out of lockdown. We shot it during the pandemic. And so, uh, you know, for that first six months of the pandemic, people, at least in Los Angeles, were really not leaving their houses and not seeing anyone. So this was the first time that we'd been like around others. And so we all were like, ah, oh, you know, human beings exist and we can still make films. And so I think we all felt very blessed to be there and really happy to be working and making art. And so it was a really, as weird as it sounds, making a serial killer movie, it was uh, a really lovely experience. And there was a lot of laughter and joy on set. Excellent. I think when it comes to Elijah Wood, I think that the choices that he makes are really bold and audacious. And it's a compliment to anyone that he chooses to work with. So I would take that as a compliment. Oh, I did. I already have planned, you know, if I ever win an Oscar in my speech, thanking him. So don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, and look to, to address sort of like the elephant in the room for some viewers um, would be that your film came out shortly after the Bundy tapes did on Netflix. And I guess mm. there's, there's a, for, for want of better phrase, there's a saturation of Bundy out there. Um, mm. But I do think that yours is probably the best of them. Um oh. Were you aware of those other projects at the time? And did oh, they, sure. were they on your, yeah? Were they on yeah, your I mind? Yeah, I mean, like, I Googled. I was like, how many movies with Ted Bundy? And I, and, and I did both documentaries, you know, uh, series, uh, narrative, everything. And I made a list and who directed them. And one thing that was interesting is that there was only, as far as I could tell the genders, there was only one other made by a female director. And that to me felt really important. I was like, you know, this story is not just about these men that do these atrocious things. They're doing these atrocious things most of the time to women. And it really is about power and power over women and, and gender imbalances. And that, you know, the female side, the female story is a big part of this story. It's not just like Ted Bundy's story. It's also the women's story and their lives get cut short. And, and so to me, I feel like that we talked about earlier, the walking down a dark alley and hearing footsteps, like that's a very female experience. I'm not saying no men have ever experienced that. Certainly they have, but I would, I would say almost every single woman I know has experienced that walking in, walking at night, you hear footsteps, you get scared, you know, holding your keys. So they stick out of your fingers. So, you know, all that stuff that we're all taught how to, how to protect ourselves, you know? So that feeling of being hunted down is, is, is really very much, you know, in the female realm. And, um, and so I've just felt like that was part of the story. Um, I feel like I've drifted away from your original question. No, no, I'm glad you said that. I am really glad you said that because I, um, I, I get that from female directors of these type of films. There is a different sensibility here. And I, the, I, I interviewed um, Mary Harron about um, her doing her, serial killer her. films. And she, um, she had the exact same response you did. And I think that oh, resonates. That resonates for the viewer. And I think your film, you know, as opposed to the other ones that are out there, um, gives the audience a lot more depth than what the others do. Well, thank you. I mean, I look, I those those other films, I never like to gripe on another film. It's so hard to get a movie made and you know, and I, I admire anybody who gets a gets a project off the ground, you know, and I think all we can do is bring our own take to it, you know, and I think that was the most important thing to me was that I was bringing something different to it. And I, and I felt like as we started talking about right me being an outsider to this genre was something different and me being a woman was something not completely unique but slightly unique in that only one other woman had made a Bundy film so I felt like those were things that I was like alright well, and I, I also thought that my take on Bundy was different you know I saw him you know as, as we started talking about in the beginning I didn't see him as this kind of 
amazing, charming guy. I saw him as quite pathetic and desperate, you know? So, so that's all you can do is, is try to, to, you know, there's an expression that people say, like, there are no new stories, you know, we're all just mm. repeating the same stories over and over again. And, and so if that's true, and it probably is true, then all you can do is really bring your own set of life experiences and opinions and thoughts and feelings and your own sensibilities to the project you know so that was that was what i tried to do was i was like i look if this is going to be another bundy film it ha there has to be a reason it has to be saying something new and and to me that really was you know the very subtle part of the film of like well what's it like for the women in the room you know mm. because there were women in the room in, in all those moments you know um bundy did not exist in a vacuum and uh sure. yeah well, if that was your intention, mission accomplished. Um, as I said, fantastic film. And, and before I let you go, because we're just about out of time, you are working on another film called Nod If You Understand Me, I believe, if IMDb is correct. Um, you know, what can you tell us about that film, if you're able to at all? Well, I'm actually making another film first that I can't say anything about yet, but okay. it will be announced publicly in a couple of weeks that I'm very excited about. Um, it's my first studio film, so that one will happen first, and then Nod, if you understand, will come after that, and that one is, uh, yeah, it's about the very famous airplane hijacker that everyone knows as D.B. Cooper, and uh, it's, it's I, I love this one too, because again, it's looking at that sort of story that's been told before and really delved into a lot from a new angle, and that really is the angle of the um, the stewardess who was on that plane with him was the one who interacted with him and really once you hear the whole story she was the one that saved everybody's life I mean she was just an amazing amazing woman Tina Mucklow and so uh, she's working with us she's you know part of the project and telling her story and and the producer writers have just done an amazing job and I can't wait to tell tell that story because yeah it's again it's that's something that I like to do is take a story that's out there that people are fascinated by and interested in and go like, but wait, what about this angle? No one's ever looked at it from this angle. And I think no one ever has looked at it from Tina's angle. You know, she was 21 years, 21 or 22 years old, brand new to being a stewardess. Like she'd had the job for a couple of weeks, gets on this flight, it gets hijacked and she's the one that has to like liaise and negotiate with him and, and save the day and save everybody's life. You know, I think people have been so preoccupied with who is D.B. Cooper, that they've missed, like, there was a, basically, like, just out of teenagehood, young girl who literally yep. saved everyone's life. Like, that, to me, is just as interesting a, a story as to who was he, you know? Absolutely, and I think you've successfully piqued people's interest. I'm sure everyone's going to want to see that. I certainly do. Um, but, look, we're out of time. I wanted to thank you so much for um, taking the time to chat with me. Um, it's real pleasure for me i just love the stuff you do and i'm looking forward to both those projects well thanks so much it's great fun i love talking films so thanks for having me don't shake your finger at me young man don't shake your finger at me young man and that brings us right back to our final recommendations one more each take it away all right well you know when i was when i said that i thought henry portrait of a serial killer was the penultimate was the was the ultimate i should have said it was the penultimate because this the movie i'm going to talk about next is the ultimate serial killer film and i think i may have actually talked about it on the show before but i don't care yeah, give it's a so shit. good i'm going to talk about it again just in case it's from 1993 uh the name of the film is undefeatable mm -hmm. it's directed by godfrey ho now if you've never heard of godfrey ho <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out a list of some of the other films that this man has directed. One of the, one of the great names, I can tell it's, you. Godfrey Ho is... <laughs> he, he's, he's a Hong Kong filmmaker. He's a Chinese filmmaker. He's done Full Metal Ninja, Zombie vs. Ninja, Robo Vampire, Ninja Demons Massacre, 
Cobra vs. Ninja, Raiding Invaders, Champ vs. Champ, and there's 155 other films. Like, this guy is prolific. Yeah. Like, under prolific in the dictionary, there's a picture of him. Mm -hmm. Under prophylactic in the dictionary, (laughs) there's a picture of me. Uh, (laughs) Exactly how long did you workshop that? I I just tried it out live just then (laughs) as the first time. I regret everything. Uh, it is actually, it's a martial arts movie. It's a Cynthia Roth, stars Cynthia Rothrock. It's this, it's uh, of course, cause it's, um, really sounds like you're hitting the brief here, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a fantastic <laughs> film. So it's, it's, uh, Cynthia Rothrock, Don Neum and John Miller are the other stars of this film. And basically it is a martial arts meets serial killer movie. That is a ridiculous amount of fun. Uh, yet also has a bit of a problem with women. Uh, it's a bit problematic. Uh, so Cynthia Rothrock basically plays this gang leader, um, who like her and her gang compete in these, uh, martial arts kind of competitions, these Mm -hmm. underground fights. Uh, And she's doing all the money that she makes. She's doing to send her sister to college. Of course. Uh, but then unfortunately one day her sister runs into, uh, Don Niam, who's, uh, his name is Stingray in the film. His character's name is Stingray. <laughs> and he is a psychopath who has had a meltdown uh, when his wife threatened to leave him. And when his wife threatens to leave him, he kills her and gouges her eyes out while having flashbacks of his mum abandoning him. <laughs> you know, behind every good serial killer, there's mm. a good serial killer's mum yep. that is often the cause of all the problems. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and Don Nett has a complete like mental break and it's just random women that he meets in his head turn into both his wife and his mother who he then kills and plucks out their eyes. Wow. So Cynthia Rothrock sister, so Cynthia Rothrock's sister gets killed and she quit halfway through the production of the film. So a lot of the time, like <laughs> like when, when Cynthia Rothrock says her tearful goodbye, it's basically to Gordon, Ho, uh, Gordon Ho's, Godfrey Ho's hand. Uh, she had to. She had to really like act. Wow. In this one, but so she teams up with a cop who may or may may not be into her because she's Cynthia Rothrock, and mm. cops find her delicious. Mm. Uh, have to have to uh, track him down while he's running through the city, just nonstop killing women and plucking their eyes out. Uh, and then the ending, the end scene of this is is fucking amazing. Like the 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 kind of conclusion, but before the conclusion, there is a big, because the weird thing about this too, is that Cynthia Rothrock, while she is the star, she's kind of not mm-hmm. like John Miller is the cop and he's the one that kind of, he's also like a martial artist, <laughs> of course. He's also, but it's kind of, it's more about the fight between him and Don Niem than it is between like Cynthia Rothrock and Don Niem. It's a bit, that is, that part is a bit weird, <laughs> but they have a, have a showdown. And the weird thing is, and I was reading on Wikipedia, that apparently both both of them had spent a lot of time leading up to the role, like working out. So their final fight scene involves a lot more flexing than actual fighting. Is it, is it body oil? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> shirts off. They're con- they're shirts off, abs flexing, arms flexing. Sounds like an Albert Pune film. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board. I am on board. It is it is excellent. It's mm. a it's a thoroughly enjoyable film. One of Cynthia Rothrock's better films. Yep. Um and uh, the best thing about it is that it ends in a four-way high five. That's right. That's how <laughs> awesome it is. 
they did actually release an that. extended cut uh, in uh, China. Yeah. Uh, where they, because there's a whole subplot a la uh, Kingdom of Heaven mm. uh, that they cut out starring uh, Robin Shaw, who is probably m- most well known as playing Liu Kang in the Mortal Kombat movies. Robin Shaw? Shaw. Shaw. Um, and they, and so the, the, the Japanese, the Chinese version, I should say, what am I talking about? The Chinese version is like 20 minutes longer. Right. Wow. For a, for a movie like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I can't recommend it enough. It did get a VHS release here. I don't actually know if it's got a, I oh know. I think it did get a DVD release, Okay. but uh, no blue. I'll have to, I'll have to look into that one. So and distributors take note. <laughs> Undefeatable on blue. <laughs> Godfrey Ho is ready and willing to talk about it. Amazing. And whilst we're at it, let's play that old little game where we can tie movies to Albert Pune again because uh, I just thought of Postmortem. There's a serial killer movie that didn't come to mind. Yeah. I like that movie with Charlie Sheen. I remember the, uh, isn't the, the the poster of it's like the ice cube tray with the, oh, with the about, eyeball? F- no, no. There's about five different posters. Oh, no. One. What's that one? Uh, the Australian Conspir- poster kind of has theory. him, sort of his face on the cover and it's sort of broken into segmented pieces. But anyway, yeah. Postmortem, it's like a Scottish version of Seven, I guess. Or actually, it's a bit more like Prime Detective or Prime. Is it Prime Suspect, the Helen Mirren show? Prime Rib. <laughs> Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewlorium. Viewlorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. So now it's my final recommendation, and I've inadvertently this week gone for a Martin Sheen double banger, mate. Excellent. Apocalypse Now. Well Every, done. Everyone loves a Martin Sheen double banger. I oh, know, The Maid. That's right. <laughs> when you told me that, I said, are you doing The Maid? <laughs> I've gone with a TV movie that he's starting called Out of Darkness, which was 1985, which is the Son of Sam investigation. I love and how they went for like a really... like. A title that was really, that really stands out. It makes it easy to identify. (laughs) And it tells the son of the Son of Sam investigation from the perspective of one particular police officer who's also dealing with the, like a terminal illness of his wife. Uh, Some of these true crime TV movies from that era, I actually think are quite good. You know, like there's all the, um, you know, there's all the reason to think that they're shit, but. I kind of, this is sort of, when you're on, I think it was CBS put a lot of these out and it feels like they weren't really... CBS Fox, Glenn. It feels like they weren't really restrained with, you know, too much as far as, you know, no. um, classification goes. I love I love made-for-TV movies. I love movies that were released here that were basically just pilot episodes of TV series that we just never got. <laughs> but they were, and they just released it as a movie and at the end you'd be like, this feels like this continues. <laughs> well, but you never knew... The exception to that rule, though, is there was a Ted Bundy film with Mark Harmon, and that was fucking awful. Uh, no, so, I saw that. I actually have seen that movie. Yeah, I thought it was all right. He's not a good Ted Bundy. <laughs> but um, I think this one... I'd go home with him. This one had a lot more weight in it um, than I anticipated, because this was my first viewing. And it was written by T.S. Cook, who's the guy that wrote China Syndrome. So What does the T.S. stand for? I don't know. We just make something up. Thumb sucker? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's two words, but uh, it's one word, but we'll... Uh... We'll give and, him a pass. Um, yeah, so he wrote The China Syndrome, and it was directed by Judd Taylor, who's a seasoned TV director who made The Great Escape 2. Thank you very much. Your favorite, Did he also do The Dirty Dozen 3 and 4? No, I wish. But he did do Firefox with uh, 
Hume Cronin and uh, Jessica Tandy. Oh, hang on. I thought you were talking about the Clint Eastwood one, no. which is like the one Clint Eastwood movie that I find to be un- <laughs> unwatchable. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the other made-for-TV one with the uh, two oldies. And he did make Broken Vows with Tommy Lee Jones, which I'm sure you've probably got in your collection and don't even know it. So I'm trying anyway. to think of what that movie's about. I thought I'd, I thought I was across all of uh, the, the Tommy one Lee of the, Jones. The, the, the most striking thing about this movie, Out of the Darkness, is Martin Sheen sports oh. that classic 80s detective moustache. Excellent. Yeah, so he's got that going for him. That's right. Uh, some other players here. Hector Elizondo is in it. Excellent. He plays. Was, it, was this directed by Frank Marshall? Wasn't it? <laughs> he so. plays a priest. Uh, Joe Spinell is in it. Everyone loves Joe Spinell, the maniac. If you like, that guy must be. Who's that guy who plays um, Pap Smear in uh, <laughs> the Naked Weapon movies? I know what you mean? Like he must be every day. Yep. He must praise the Lord. That Joe Spinell has died because now he gets all of the horrible acne scarring villain roles. We're not talking Robert Darby. No, although Robert Darby's Robert Darby <laughs> and Edward James almost or James Edward almost yeah. are also in that thing. But no, but that's that guy from the bad guy from Cobra. Yeah, or like the beginning yeah. of Cobra. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it also stars Sam McMurray and. Uh, Robert Trebor and um, he plays David Berkowitz. You'd know him if you've seen like um, Devil's Rejects and movies like that. He plays the the uh, the real cocky film um, critic that comes in to talk about the Three Stooges and shit. You know that uh, Tom Towles from uh, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer was in Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. Well, there we go. See, Rob Zombie knows his shit. He's, uh, he pulls them all out. <laughs> was it Sam McMurray? I think it was. I was saying like has the most fucking arrogant face in cinema. Like you just want to punch yeah. it every time you see it. He's so cocky in everything. He's but he's he's a pale, he's a pale reflection of uh, now I've fucking forgotten his name. But um, <laughs> who's the EPA guy from Ghostbusters? Oh yeah, I know. who's in Die Hard? Who's in Die yeah, Hard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember yeah. his name, but yeah, that guy. He's the. Speaking of true crime, he's also in the um, the girl next door. You know the uh, the Jack Ketchum film about the the basement where they keep the girl trapped and they just invite the, all the invite all the kids from the neighbourhood to come and beat her. Oh no, I haven't I haven't heard of this film. Yeah, no, not the Alicia Cuthbert one. You're thinking that <laughs> the girl next door is a sex yeah. comedy, <laughs> which is a porn star. No, 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 no. Not Every that. boy's Every teenage boy's dream. Anyway, going on all kinds of tangents here, but I recommend this one. It is, um, yeah, one of the better Ted Bundy sort of, it's procedural. That's what I like about it. It's police procedural and it kind of just hits all the beats. <laughs> like what I did there. Uh, so it does feel very much like in the line of duty. It's got that kind of gravitas. It's a bit gritty. Uh, uh, less is emphasis it, on melodrama. There's none of that. Is it a bit nihilistic? <laughs> well, there's a little bit of nihilism in there. A little bit of nihilism. <laughs> and it's on YouTube like, for free, so it's worth your time. Big Lebowski style, style nihilism. <laughs> He's just hanging out in the pool because he doesn't give a shit about anything. <laughs> oh, anyway, there's not much else to add to it other than that. It's the first time I've seen it, and I was, yeah, I love that mustache. And boofy hair. Boofy hair and a mustache. Yes. On Martin Sheen. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't, um, what's his brother's name? Ramon Estevez. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, actually, the funny thing about this one is it does have a really fleeting cameo moment from Charlie Sheen, who plays like a neighbour who opens the door when they go knocking. But Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez had cameos in Badlands as well as the two kids playing under the fire hydrant. Does he kill them? I wish. That would have been, been Yeah. <laughs> if it was Henry, he would have killed them. That's right. Anyway. Uh, some notable mentions. You mentioned To Catch a Killer. I was going to bring that one up. Do you remember the Boston Strangler with Tony Curtis? Have you ever seen that? I look. I remember it, but I all those movies where Tony Curtis is like in his fifties and sixties, 
I really don't like him. Like yeah. I just don't, I like, I find it, I find <laughs> him hard to watch. He's got he's got weird like tape on eyebrows too in that one, like fake yeah. eyebrows. Um, but as you said, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, Ten Rillington Place. I mentioned that one. You know, we've had lots of prolific serial killers in Australia, but no really good films adapted oh, from their Wolf stories. Creek, I suppose. Oh yeah, but that's like an amalgamation of a, several serial killers. But it was you know. just Ivan Milat. No, it was no, because it's based on the Peter Falconio case, you know, which is right. a different serial killer, and they've just bought in bits of Ivan Milat's story. Ivan Milat never had a real. They've had that shitty TV movie that Channel Seven put out, but that was shit. Paul Denyer, Peter Duplass, John Wayne Glover. There's some prolific, and I don't say that to romanticise them, but some like <laughs> world class serial killers. <laughs> well, what about uh, Snowtown? Yeah, Snowtown. I was going to say is um, probably the only legitimately. Good. That's very on par with Henry, like yeah. as far as the tone goes. Yeah. And that is a good film. Um, I kind of, you know, I don't know if I want lots more of these, but, you know, if you're going to make serial killer films, space them on Aussie killers because we've got some doozies. <laughs> yeah. Or like the, you know, the Japanese cannibal ones or the Russian ones who, mm-hmm. like there's a lot more serial killers out there that haven't had movies made about them. Yep. What about those guys? Damn straight. Damn you know, straight. And, you know, in the spirit of... Uh, Equality in casting. Cast actual serial killers in those roles. <laughs> That's right. Give them a chance. Exactly. Um, we we had some, uh, I think, two serial killers here, you know, over 100 years oh, ago. I, I thought, yeah, like, on the desk. <laughs> yeah, last week. <laughs> we have two here right now. Um, Remember when we had Matthew Holmes here? <laughs> he didn't know. We, um, no, there were some serial killers in Australia, you know, last century that were prime suspects for Jack the Ripper. Australian ones. Yeah, believed to have believed to have, you know, come to Australia and escaped lived. to the colony. Yeah, right. exactly. Um I can't remember their names off the top of my head. Was it the Royal? It wasn't the Royal. No, the Royal Doctor? No. Yeah. No. I think there was in total I think there was I eight there suspects. Was one, there was a, the Doctor, but there was also wasn't it like Well, the Queen's Doctor was the one that they suspect the most. Yeah, but I thought it was they wasn't there also a, a thing that he was just covering up for like an actual, an actual royal. Royal, royal who was actually doing it. Wouldn't that be salacious? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I, I told you off mic, I have been watching Vikings Valhalla uh, this last week. And to become king or a noble, like you've got to be pretty fucked up. Like back in the start when these people were kind of coming up. Yep, ruthless. Like ruthless sociopath. Yep. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're all like, yeah, once a week they let uh, Elizabeth out <laughs> to well, uh, to murder like a staff member. Well, what was that movie? The Royal Night Out. Like, yeah. no, really. Imagine that's imagine the horror take on that. How good! That's the movie to pitch to Dallas. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, my queen, my killer. <laughs> I just written itself. Hackingham Palace or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so many ways you could go with that. Oh, brainstorm session coming. Anyway, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, we've had a good time. This is the end of the show. <laughs> Sorry to love you and leave you, but... Um, Cut it short. We have a really good one coming up next week, and I just wanted to get that out there because Jarrett will be at the desk with us to talk about MTV movies. And there's uh, no shortage of movies to pick there. Well, there is. There's a shortage if you, you know, go up to 500 or I don't know. Yeah, if, if it was only MTV movies on Netflix, you wouldn't subscribe. <laughs> That's right. 
Well, maybe you, I probably no. Would. I reckon there's probably about fifty in the uh, the, the MTV canon. So we're going to talk about those. But the the most exciting thing of all is that we have Party Boy himself, Chris Pontius from Jackass, is going to be our special guest. I can't wait. And um, that's about it. So I want to give a thanks out to Jarrett, Guillermo, Joe, Chad, James. Big shout out to Chloe, who's in full school holiday mum mode right now. So we've given her a little bit of a break for that. It's school holidays now, Ben. Did you know that? Have you been, yeah. have you been enjoying the... <laughs> no, because <laughs> the I am not a child and I do not have children, so I no longer pay attention to school holidays. Uh, you'll notice when you go to the shops, mate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, here's my favourite band of all time, Ween, with the song All From A Serial Killer's Perspective. Piss up a rope. You're just an object to me I'd like to get to know you better Paste you across my body You're just an object to me You're just a piece of me I love you better, love you forever, you're just an object to me. Just an object to me I feel a little better They found your sweater You're just an object to me 